With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. And speaking of another person that we couldn't do the program without, and that happens to be the man that uh, is known as a former professional wrestler. He was known in his old ring days as the Bone Crusher. Here he is, Dr. History. <laughs> Good morning, Zeb. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How you doing? Oh, all right. Listen, uh, a lot of kudos to you. Um, we always get calls about what's Dr. History going to talk about today or can I get a copy of that? Well, there may be in the not-too-distant future ways that they can get copies of this program. It's, it's getting closer to where they will be available to people anytime they want to listen to any of our past or future uh, uh, recordings. Okay, good. So, and so I know you're... I know you're staying right up on top of it. You know, yesterday when I saw you, I said, hey, what are we going to talk about today? And you told me that we're going to talk about one of my favorite legends of the Old West, and that's Wyatt Earp. Yep. Well, I'm going to give you kind of a brief summary of his early days, and then we're going to go to uh, kind of his later days, okay. uh, where he was actually in Alaska. Okay. And not many people know about that, but... You know, Wyatt Earp, he was born in 1848. Uh, he, uh, he was a town marshal. He took part in the, the old O.K. Corral gunfight. Uh, and to his displeasure, this 30-second gunfight kind of defined the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's kind of regarded as a central figure in the shootout in Tombstone. But really, his brother Virgil was actually the Tombstone uh, city marshal. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, Wyatt didn't wasn't uh, all that much of a major player, so to speak, but at different times in his life, he was a city policeman, a county sheriff, a teamster, buffalo hunter, bouncer, saloon keeper, gambler, brothel owner, miner, and a boxing referee. Now, his first wife, what's that? I didn't say anything. I'm just letting you go. After you said he owned a brothel, I just thought, you're on your own. I thought I heard you cough. Uh, no, but I was choking. Okay, maybe that's what I heard. Okay. Well, anyway, his, his first wife was named Eurilla, and she passed away uh, due to a pregnancy uh, less than a year after they were married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Within a couple of years, he'd been arrested a couple of times, sued, escaped from jail. He was arrested three more times. Um, in 1878, he went to Texas to gamble, and here's where he met Doc Holliday. Well, the the Oops moved constantly uh, through most of his life from one boom town to another, and 
1879, with his brothers James, Virgil, uh, they moved to Tombstone, Arizona. Now, this is where the Earps clashed with the outlaw cowboys. You know, let me ask you a question and, right uh, there, uh, Doc. Let me ask yeah. you a question real fast, and I don't take a lot of time. But so many times in the Old West recorded history, guys that went on to be famous lawmen, they actually started out by being career, uh, career criminals, didn't they? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Wyatt Earp was not exactly your outstanding citizen. You know, uh, but uh, like I say, the Earps clashed with these guys, with these outlaw cowboys, the Clantons and the McClurys. And, uh, of course, it ended in the uh, gunfight at the OK Corral. And that's where the Earps and Doc Holliday killed three of these cowboys. Mm-hmm. Well, after leaving Tombstone, Earp and actually his third wife, Josephine. Now, keep that name in mind because we're going to talk about Josephine a little bit. And they moved kind of from one town to another. And, you know, as I mentioned, Wyatt Earp has been the subject of a lot of, you know, films and movies and biographies. And his reputation back was, was kind of um, shined up a little. But really, he was a minor figure mm-hmm. in Western history. He, even though it's a well-known name, he really didn't, didn't do that much. Mm-hmm. But, so now we're going to head with them up to Alaska. This is kind of what I wanted to talk about today, but in the summer of 1899, the sleepy fishing village of Nome, which is close to the Arctic Circle, and it's pretty remote, and I've never been there, obviously, but uh, even by Alaskan standards, I guess it's considered pretty well out there. But uh, it became one of the most exciting places in the world because gold had been discovered on the shores of the Bering Sea the previous summer. So Josephine and Wyatt uh, Earp were drawn to Nome, as one more place to seek their fortune. Well, their journeys thus far had taken them from Arizona to Utah to Idaho, Colorado, Texas, California. Uh, they had been in San Diego where his investment went down the tubes. Uh, his reputation kind of took a beating when he uh, was involved in a prize-fighting scandal in San Francisco. And they'd been in Arizona, and that's where they heard news about the Klondike Goldfields. So in 1898... They got as far as a place called Rampart up in Alaska before the Yukon River froze uh, for the winter. And the next spring, they, when the thaw hit, why they headed for a place called St. Michael. And here, Wyatt sold beer and cigars for a company, but, you know, he wasn't too keen on that. Uh, he had a friend named Tex that was up in Nome, and he said, you got to get up here to Nome. So this is where things are happening. So, so that's where they headed. Now, picture in your mind here is Nome didn't have any docks. Okay, so the steamers carrying the Earps and other passengers, they were met by small boats, and they unloaded into these small boats, and then they got to within about 30 feet of the shore, and then they had men that would come out and carry the women on their backs the last 30 feet uh, from the water onto shore. You're kidding me. Now, once they got on shore, the Earps got their first sight of this place. Uh-huh. <laughs> this was a two-block-wide, five-mile-long city. No, no paved streets, two feet of mud, and finding no suitable hotel, Wyatt and Josephine moved into a wooden shack, which was basically maybe a slight step above a tent. Now, keep in mind here, picture this, Nome was treeless. Everybody had cut down the trees to build whatever they could. Basic sanitation was almost non-existent. Uh, sewage emptied into the river, and that was their only source of drinking water. Oh, boy. So, typhoid, dysentery, pneumonia were very common, smallpox. Uh, I mean, you know, like I say, sanitation was just non-existent. Uh, 
so. Now, in partnership with a guy named Charlie Hoxie, or Hoxie, Wyatt, Wyatt built a two-story saloon called the Dexter. Now, so keep in mind that the name of the hotel was called the Dexter. Now, prospectors needed to drink, to gamble, and to uh, uh, have a good time, and Wyatt knew how to make money by mining the miners, which a lot of times those were the only guys that made money, was the guys that uh, supplied things to the miners. So anyway, he had hopes of serving as Nome's deputy marshal, but he didn't make that. He was passed over for that. So, But he did file a few mining claims, but they didn't really turn out to be much. He, so he mostly put that... I never said a word. I'm quiet as a church mouse. Okay. I keep hearing these little blurps in here. No, not me. I haven't said a word. Okay. Anyway, he filed a few mining claims, but he mostly devoted his efforts to his saloon. And, uh, you know, his, his reputation had spread, and so his celebrity status kind of made the Dexter Saloon uh, pretty much a, an instant success. But, uh, like, Josephine, the wife, she kind of rationalized that the Dexter Saloon was no simple bar. This was a better-class, upper-class saloon. I mean, it served important civic purposes, uh, like the, uh, as a clubhouse, the town hall, a forum where men could arrange political campaigns, transact business, enjoy social contacts. And into the doors of the Dexter Saloon walked a lot of noteworthy, important people, including future President Herbert Hoover. Now, to escape winter and outfit the Dexter Saloon a little better, the Earps left on a boat called, uh, or a steamer called the Cleveland and headed south. And this boat was so crowded that Wyatt bribed passengers to secure a stateroom. Well, the trip was a nightmare. Their bodies, clothing, and furniture were crawling with lice. They encountered a storm so terrible that Josephine begged to get off the boat, even though they were out in the middle of the Bering Sea, and they finally reached Seattle nine days later. Mm. Well, they encountered a city that was one single-minded focus, and that was to get to Nome. Everybody wanted to get to Nome from Seattle, and so people were selling stuff. They were selling Nome tents, Nome medicine, Nome underwear, anything for these people to get them up there. Mm -hmm. But the local newspaper in Seattle and San Francisco, they made note that the Earps had returned and that Wyatt Earp was making a lot of money. And the newspapers, uh, they uh, said, uh, you know, Wyatt, the celebrated sheriff from Arizona, uh, that's what they talked about him, but some of them didn't think he was all that good of a guy. But uh, Nome now promoted as an exotic summer destination and as many as four ships a day left Seattle. Oh, my. Filled to to capacity with like 700 people and loaded with thousands of tons of mining equipment, machinery, merchandise. Uh, Other boats actually carried dismantled theaters, gambling halls, saloons, hotels, restaurants, everything they needed to construct uh, what we would call uh, an instant civilization. Now, the Earps departed Seattle on the uh, ship called the Alliance, with, and they bought a whole bunch of really nice stuff for their hotel, for, or for their saloon, for the Dexter. Uh, so they got up there, and Nome in 1900 was now bigger, noisier. There were barges, tugboats, rafts, rowboats going back and forth, loading and unloading enormous amounts of shipments of, of cargo. There were hundreds of cattle on shore. And keep in mind what I said about the sanitation issue. Uh, but Nome became one of the world's oddest seaports, uh, where the last mile of freight, in other words, to get your freight in, cost about as much as it did get from Seattle up there. Oh, my. Because, you know, people would just charge the heck out of uh, the people that had the, the cargo. Mm-hmm. So, but the beach was a scene of 
unimaginable chaos. The sand was barely visible because there were thousands of tents lined up, uh, and I've got a picture of it here, and they were practically touching each other. Oh, my. Just tent after tent. And baggage and freight that was piled high for a mile. Uh, men would carry their trunks on their backs because they uh, had no other way to move things. But anyway, the city grew to be about 20,000 people. Mm. And it, like I said, I've never been there. I don't know if you have, Zeb. But, nope. Uh, within weeks, uh, like I say, 20,000 people. Now, the major business in Nome in 1900 was not mining. It was gambling and the saloon trade. And in fact, at one time, downtown Nome was lined with nearly 100 saloons and gambling houses with an occasional restaurant sandwiched in between. Oh, my. So, now the Dexter Earp Saloon, uh, it kind of consolidated its position as the preeminent or the top-knock saloon for liquor, gambling, and now they had it really nicely outfitted with, uh, with their winter shopping expedition, and they had poker that was kind of sky's the limit. I mean, guys would come in and blow $10,000 on one hand. Oh, my. Poker. Oh, my. And there's rumors that even as high as 500000 uh, on one hand of poker. Now, another thing that I hadn't realized until I read this was prize fighting kind of became a central feature of some of these uh, uh, saloons and uh, actually a pretty good moneymaker for Wyatt. And he actually often refereed uh, some of these boxing matches himself. Now, besides visits uh, with Josephine's family, the Earps enjoyed Nome with some old friends from Tombstone. Some of them came up for visits. And Now, the Dexter Saloon was prospering. Uh, the summer of 1900 generated uh, kind of some serious marital tensions between Josephine and Wyatt. Uh, and part of this is because uh, Wyatt opened up uh, what he called a second-story room um, that Josephine was not real happy with. Oh, please, Doctor History, explain to us. Explain to us more what you mean. <laughs> well, I'll just say what Josephine told her family. Uh huh. She said that the rooms for, were for games of chance. I see. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I figured. <laughs> okay. Now, Josephine herself, she was must have been an interesting lady. Uh, she was also into gambling pretty heavily and losing. Uh, I mean, she indulged her fondness for card games, and Wyatt was not exactly the stay-at-home kind of husband. Uh, he kind of wandered just a little bit, if you want to say that, in that respect. Uh, and then he also had a few uh, dust-ups with the law. Uh, in fact, there's one point where there was a fight going on, and there was a military policeman that tried to stop the fight, and uh, while the soldier was doing his duty, uh, he got uh, wide open, another guy jumped on him and kind of beat him up, and that didn't go over real good. Well, during the same time, Wyatt's youngest brother, Warren, was shot to death uh, in Wilcox, Arizona. And the newspapers were quick to link uh, his murder to Wyatt and his role in Tombstone's gunfight at the OK Corral. And uh, this was kind of a reminder to Wyatt that, you know, even though you'd left, you're hurt, you're, you can't escape the past. Well, we continue on, and Nome was racked by political scandals, and they actually had a really severe disaster this, this that summer. There was a hurricane that came through, and it drove waves right up into the town. Mm. There were about 100 people that died. Oh. I mean, the, it was just a mess. The uh, buildings were destroyed. Uh, Josephine actually uh, raised some money for some of the storm victims, and uh, but, uh, you know, is that... Uh, came through the, this bad storm and 
the fall started in, the, the, the temperature started to drop, and pretty soon the stampede was on again, only this time the direction had reversed. Everybody wanted to go home. Oh, really? And a lot of these adventures, they left. They were poorer, they were sadder, and probably no wiser. But uh, as I mentioned before about the Klondike and up in that area, very few people really actually made money Mm -hmm. uh, as far as from the gold diggings. It was mostly the saloon keepers, the laundry people, the hotels, stuff like that. Right, right. But Wyatt sold his ownership of the saloon, and he transferred the Earps mining claims to Josephine's brother, and the Earps actually made about $80,000, which in today's money would be about $2 million. Mm-hmm. So they walked away, uh, they boarded the ship, uh, and headed uh, uh, back south to, to Seattle area in 1901 with $2 million. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not too bad. No, no. But, uh, you know, so you might say, well, what happened to the Earp fortune? Well, they were motivated kind of by the thrill of making a fortune, and so... Uh, the couple speculated on mines. They started some businesses. They loaned money to some people. Uh, and basically, through all this, they lost everything. Their marriage survived, but their their savings didn't. And uh, basically, Josephine had a rich sister. And this rich sister would uh, kind of uh, subsidize the Earps uh, with a little extra cash here and there. But anyway, Nome, Alaska's greatest days as a mining sensation were over. And the Earps were getting older, and uh, anyway, for most of Wyatt's last day, decade, uh, the couple lived pretty cheaply, pretty frugally, and they lived between a one-room rented bungalow in Los Angeles and actually an isolated desert campsite where they slept under the stars, and that was pretty much it. And uh, You know, and, and it varies so much from uh, the television series and other things that you read about Wyatt Earp. History has painted him, I think, in a very good light, more so than what he deserved. Oh, yeah. Like I say, he had, he had 30 seconds of, of fame at the battle at the, you know, the uh, OK Corral. Yeah. And uh, really... His brothers, uh, you know, uh, contributed to that fame somewhat. Uh, Virgil Earp, uh, Wyatt, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Warren, Morgan, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, you, but, take like, uh, you take like Wyatt Earp you're talking about, and uh, you said that he was kind of a bad guy and did a lot of uh, dust-ups with the law, and then you can start looking at other sheriffs in the Old West, and whether you're talking about John Wesley Harden, one of the most hardened criminals and uh, killers out of the state of Texas, and he, at one point in his life, was also a sheriff, and he was also a Methodist minister. Right. And, you know, uh, over time, as, as I've told stories on here, there are men that were much more, uh, I don't know, brave. They were better lawmen. They were better explorers, better trappers, better miners, everything. But nobody hears about these guys. How did the legend get started, I wonder, as far as Wyatt Earp, you know, the, the world's best lawman out west? Uh, how did that ever get started? You know, that's a good question. Uh, and I think part of it has to do with uh, some books, uh, fiction and nonfiction biographies uh-huh. that have depicted him this way. And uh, so, you know, an author can write anything he wants about a particular individual. And I think some of these books have just painted him as this ideal lawman 
and uh, a major figure in Western history when, in fact, he really was not. i got to ask you one quick question, and then i got to wrap it up. But is, okay. is it true, is it true in history that he was the marshal that wore that very special gun that with the long, long barrel, it was called the Buntline Special, is that a true story or is that fiction? Boy, you know what? I do not know that one. I, I don't know. Because on the television series, remember, that was the Wyatt Earp special gun, the Buntline special. And they did yeah. make them. Colt Manufacturing Company did make what they called this elongated barrel. It was like an 18-inch barrel or something like that. And special holsters and everything. And he supposedly was the Western Sheriff that wore that. And, you know, from a practical standpoint, why would you want one that long if you're going to be trying to pull a gun out in a hurry? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be pulling that thing out of the holster for three and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of times on this show you've asked me, what about the family? Yeah. It turns out that he actually had three wives and never did have any children. Really? So there was no posterity after him and Josephine passed away. No uh kids. Oh, my God. And what about the rest of the Earp brothers now? Did the name live on? You know, that's, I, don't know about, uh, I don't know about posterity with the brothers. I'm mm -hmm. not sure about that. Okay. You know, it just goes to show you that sometimes these legends, they're nothing more than a false uh, kind of a facade, a false front building, because uh, most of these guys, when you look at what they really were, they were a bunch of crumbs and criminals. <laughs> they were. You know, and that's why I like... Uh, diaries and journals, uh, things like that, because that, I think, is pretty accurate as far as the life in the Old West. And that's why I like to get a lot of my information from actual journals and, uh, and diaries, things like that. Absolutely. Well, you hit a home run with me because Wyatt Earp, you know, I, I did know some of uh, the real truth about the man and the lack of really being a legend. Well, you really told us about up in Al I didn't know all about the Alaskan trip at all, and yeah, I appreciate great. that. Kinda, you know, most people think of the O.K. Corral, and that's the end of it. Yep, so. yep. Uh, you did it again, Dr. History. God bless you, man, and we'll look forward to next Tuesday. All right, we'll see. You have a good day. Zach. Thank you, Dr. Ken you Turner, Bye. known as Dr. History. Uh, of course, Ken, a very, very well-accomplished and re well-respected chiropractor in Burley, and he always does a good job on Dr. History. Thank you so much. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.